Good morning, everybody. The Mary Griffith Show delayed by my tardiness. I am sorry about that. I try to do 18 things at once and it never works out. But guess what? Today's the luckiest day of the day for me because my two favorite guests are here. And yes, I say that boldly. I love all my guests, but these are my two favorite. Jack Freiberg is here. Tomorrow's your birthday. Yes, tomorrow I'll be the ripe old age of 71. And and Mayor Schultz will be be there in a few months. Well, yeah, 10. Yeah, you're He's much younger. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell just by looking that Jack is so much older than you. So, Jack, today's your last day to be 70. How was 70 for you? It was a pretty good year. I was going to say, any time uh, you have a new organ and you didn't know you were going to live yeah, to 70, it's yeah, a damn good exactly, year. There's a good reason to brighten up. My Mary, girl, you know that yesterday... Was the 199th birthday birthday of Quincy and Adams County. I know that. You knew that. I knew it because of you. And we had a big story on Monday saying, mark your calendars, get ready. And you're a year and a few days away. So we are now less than a year away from the official kickoff of the bicentennial. And, uh, you know, going back to birthdays, you know, I had my late friend, Debbie. She was so worried about turning 50. You know what Debbie's biggest problem was? She never turned 51. So every day is a blessing, and let's count on it, it as such. Let's make it simpler than that. We should be grateful every time our heart beats and every time <laughs> our lungs suck. That is so true. Well, one of the things that we have Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz on is to talk about history and historical facts and to tell us stories, to spin us yarns. Because, you know, sometimes... History can be boring, but not when these two guys are around. And so I do understand, Mr. Schultz, that you want to start off today with an ice storm story. Well, having just driven through a storm yesterday (laughs) on my way back home last night, uh, January 28th of 2000 was a historic day in Quincy. We hosted uh, a president of the United States, a sitting president. It was... uh, at that time, it hadn't happened since uh, Teddy Roosevelt in 1906. So I was pretty busy that day. I, I was fortunate enough to have breakfast uh, in the state dining room at the White House with the Conference of Mayors and then uh, get to uh, get a ride out to Andrews Air Force Base where I got to get on Air Force One and come to Quincy with the president. So that was a pretty busy day. The next day, however, Becky and I get up early. Kick right on that microphone, with Chuck. I'm losing you. And... Uh, we drive over to Culverstock in College, pick up my son Charles, head up to the University of Northern Iowa, which is way up there in Cedar Falls. And on the way back, we dropped Charles off. He was up there for something for a couple of days. And we stopped at that mall at Coral Ridge, uh, somewhere up there around Iowa City. It got a big uh, hockey rink in there. Uh, when we came out of the mall, remember we malls, Jack? We used to have malls. Uh, <laughs> we were, it was a whiteout blizzard had no idea. And I'm starting to drive, and there's cars all over the medians, and talk to the state trooper, and he says, you're driving right in, but going east, you uh, get on 61, go south, it might be better. Well, it wasn't, and I couldn't see the front of the car, and my wife is telling me to pull over, and I said, okay, next, next available. So we get to Wapalo, where the only place to stay would be the Royal Motel, except it's not royal like Kingley. It was Roy and L, R-O-Y dash L. And it didn't look like anybody stayed there since maybe the Truman administration. And, you know, pride goeth before the fall. I said, look, we're 30 miles from Burlington. They got a Holiday Inn Express. Not thinking that, you know, at 10 miles an hour, 
that, that's a long way for me. But anyway, we get out of Wapalo and uh, slid across the road. Thank God, nothing coming the other way. But we go down into the ditch. In fact, I was hands-free talking to my brother on the phone at the time, asking about road conditions, and he does a pretty good imitation of me talking as we're going down this embankment. <laughs> State trooper comes. He says, we can't pull anybody out tonight. Uh, yet we're going to the fire station. have to get out tomorrow. I said, oh, sir, i got to have my car. Turns out Debbie Chaplin from Quincy, Illinois, her brother, was running the tow service, and he got me out, took us back into Wapalo, and we got to meet Roy and Al. Uh, although Roy never got out of the Barker Lounger because the Statler brothers were on. The, you kind of checked in in their living room deal. So we get back to the room, it's freezing cold, and I'm trying to get, he's trying to yell at me, hit that heater on the left side, that'll get it, you know. So anyway, it was pretty brutal, and uh, we hadn't had anything to eat, and we're now we're going to be here till tomorrow, and I said, is there anywhere we could get something to eat? And he said, well, maybe up at the gas station. So we trudged through this blizzard, you know, it's just like it's a block, but it seems like we went a mile, we finally get there. All they got to eat is the uh, hot dog going around on the thing for like the last three weeks <laughs> and some stale coffee. But we sit down in the little, you know, Formica-covered booth there, and I look up, and there's the newspaper rack. Remember newspapers, Jack? I used to have those, too. And uh, there, front page, full color, above the fold, the Burlington Hawkeye, me, and President Clinton, I looked at my wife, and I said, you know what? The Lord really has his ways of making us all humble. <laughs> Yesterday, breakfast at the White House, lunch on Air Force One, and tonight it's supper at the Come and Go Convenience Center in Wapalo, Iowa. <laughs> so my Roy 15 minutes are up. Roy Del Motel. <laughs> with, with the <laughs> best rolling hot dog I ever had. Oh, I yummy. can't believe Roy didn't offer to make you something in his microwave <laughs> and have room service. That's rude. Uh, Roy was not getting out of that barker lounge, oh. I guarantee it. You know, Chuck, I think that just goes to show, like you said, the good Lord has a way of making us humble. Because Mother Nature is the great equalizer, isn't she? I mean, here you are riding high, like you said, probably the apex experience for most people would be staying, you know, riding on Air Force One and having lunch aloft with the President of the United States. And then you're at the Roy and L Hotel. So, uh, boy, so you, you, uh, you dined with kings and you've dined with paupers and you've survived them both. That is a great story. That is a well, great hey, story. Thank you. Now, before I forget, I have to plug. The Roy and <laughs> It may still be there. Do we have any listeners up in southeast Advisor, Iowa? Trip Advisor, one comment from Chuck and Becky Schultz. Any port in a storm. <laughs> I need to plug our Quincy Debate Museum, which for the last 12 years or so we called the Lincoln-Douglas Debate Interpretive Center, but we're remarketing, rebranding, and we're just calling it the Debate Museum. And it's been completely redone. It's, you know, I have to commend all of these folks. We, we got such a great local history group, you know. Jack's right in there among them, but, we, you know, Iris Nelson and, and Chuck Radle has really Chuck been the Radle, great leader yeah. on the Debate Museum. But Dave Costigan, Scott Giltner, who's a professor over at Culver, uh, Reg Ankrum's been in on that, Tim Shepherd, Ecker. So anyway, 
uh, on February 15th, we're going to have another History Happy Hour. It's, I think the doors open at 5. It starts at 5.15, and it'll be Professor Scott Giltner, who has uh, Culver Stockton. I think he's the chairman of the Humanities Department now. He's a great professor, and he's really focused on this area's history, particularly pre-Civil War. So he's going to focus on a day in 1853 when Culver Stockton, then known as Christian University, first co-educational institution west of the Mississippi. They had a big Founders Day, and all the big shots in Quincy, Keokuk, Hannibal were there. You had slave owners, you had abolitionists, and this whole mix. And that'll be his talk on uh, 515 on the 15th of February. So appreciate the opportunity to plug That sounds really good, because that period of history we we don't hear programs about very often. That pre-Civil the pre-war. War. Yeah, You're because right. we had to live, you know, it's so interesting, it's kind of like today. People with very diverse political opinions still go together. Like, I, I was at the Chamber of Commerce luncheon this week, and I thought, now, in this room, there is the widest diversity of business people that could possibly be jumbled together in Quincy. And so, but we're all here to honor you know, people who've won awards this year. Same thing, back in 1853, you know political you know, had to be running high because here's Missouri a slave state, Illinois a free state. However, some people in Missouri were abolitionists. Some people in Illinois were like, well, you know, I brought my slave over from Missouri. It's still my property, Dred Scott, you know. So there had to be a wide political diversity, and, yet they all got together to celebrate the greatness of Culver Stockton College. Well, that's true, but, you know, it was such, uh, we were prominent at that point, you know. When you think about uh, 1853, a year later was Kansas-Nebraska Act. That's what got Lincoln back into politics. He made three famous speeches in opposition to that. One of them was at 6th and Main, uh, Kendall Hall, here in Quincy. And then, what, four years later, we had the debate. And, and talking about our debate museum, and it's all redone with beautiful videos and so forth. It's going to be very engaging for our school kids, but also for visitors and and all of our Quincyans, it's uh, going to be open on a regular basis now. But Quincy was the turning point, and that's what Dave Cossigan, Iris Nelson, and these historians have focused in on the way we uh, explain the debate here in Quincy, because uh, we were the sixth out of the seventh, and uh, after Galesburg, number five, Lincoln went to Burlington, Iowa, uh, and met with uh, Governor Grimes, who told him he had to take the gloves off and get more aggressive and really go after the real issue on slavery. So it was at Quincy then that Lincoln said, you know, the popular sovereignty, that was Douglas. Let the people decide. You want slavery? If more people vote for it, we'll have slavery. If they vote the other way, we won't. And Lincoln said, it's not a political issue. It can't be decided by votes. It's a moral issue, and it's wrong. And no amount of votes will ever make it right. And that was the turning point. And, of course, it was at Quincy where this David Lockhart, who wrote under the name of Petroleum Nasby, he was uh, from Ohio, and he came out like a lot of reporters following the debates. He's the one that first suggested Lincoln could be the Republican nominee in 1860. That The fascination that people think that Lincoln won the Lincoln-Douglas debate, and in a sense he did. Well, he actually did win the popular vote. He won the popular they, vote, but that's not how it was. That's not how Gerrymandering was in yeah. Douglas's favor. That's not how the Senate was decided. The that's Senate right. was decided by the vote of the Illinois legislature. Yeah. So despite the fact that 
Lincoln did trounce Douglas. Douglas did win, in a sense, because he got the U.S. Senate seat. Well, but the state was so different then. I mean, you know, we didn't have the preponderance of Chicago um, Good at, point, that, at, at that point in time, you know, the, which currently dominates state politics entirely. You know, when you think about it, you know, how strange it seems in our picture in our head to have the state capitol in Vandalia, um, you know, that, that, just, that picture just doesn't work. Um, currently. But we were settled really from the south going northward. I mean, in a sense that that I mean, yes, I mean, Lake Michigan and had you know certainly I mean, downstate was was not friendly to the abolitionists. Quincy Alton, there were some exceptions. You know, we had our New England founders, but most of downstate Illinois were folks from Kentucky. From Kentucky, and yeah. uh, you know, when Lincoln spoke down at Anna Jonesboro. Uh, he he was a little bit different than when he spoke up in Freeport, uh, where where you know it was much more anti-slavery. And Douglas accused him of being two-faced. And Lincoln said, "If I had two faces, do you think I'd be using this one?" <laughs> you know, it, they really were friends, though, weren't they? Well, after the Quincy debate. They got on a steamboat together here and rode down to Alton for the final debate. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, Lincoln sent Douglas down into Confederate territory to try to do a truce, according to Reg Ancrum. Didn't Douglas, didn't Douglas he made to... a great speech in June of 1861, right after the Civil War broke out. It's called the Flag Speech, where he rallies everyone to support the president and the Union. And he died right after that. Yeah. So he didn't get to quite be the ambassador that Lincoln had wanted him to be because of his early demise. Well, we certainly want everyone to go to the debate museum, whether you live in Quincy or not. And remember, it's a history happy hour, Thursday, February 15th. Dr. Scott Giltner from Culver Stockton College at 515 will be talking about an event in 1853 that affected Culver Stockton College, the first co-ed institution west of the Mississippi River. So... That is fantastic. Thank you for the plug, Mary. The debate museum is right across from the debate monument. The debate monument. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more on the Mary Griffith Show with Chuck Schultz and Jack Freiberg. Jack, we promise on this day before your birthday, we will give you a chance to talk. Thank you, Mary. Now we're back at 941. It's five degrees. My guests today, as they are the third Friday of every month, are Chuck Schultz and Jack Freiberg. And we've learned a little bit about uh, an event that's going on now at the Lincoln-Douglas Debate Museum, now called the Debate Museum, on February 15th. And Jack, a great uh, artifact from the Quincy Historical Society, has made its way to Peoria and is being met with rave reviews. I hope we get the darn thing back. Everybody in Peoria loves our weather vane. Yes, and uh, it's the hit of the show. We're competing with uh, pieces from the uh, American Folk Art Museum. And our piece, our weather vane that sat on top of the CB&Q Depot down at 2nd and Oak is the hit of the show. Um, and I spoke to the decoy director, but uh, he's also the one who's in charge of this show, Zach Zetterberg, who has also been on this show with us, Mary. And uh, Zach said, uh, without a doubt, the weather vane is the hit of the show. And when I have people in here that are folk art specialists um, that really know this stuff, he said the weather vane is absolutely 
they get they just get rave reviews about the weather van. Now I know you were trying to get up a bus trip or some kind of group trip to go up to Peoria. Is that still going to be possible, or is that we're just going to go on our own? No, um, I'm I'm working on that okay. right now. Okay. Uh, I've just talked to Zach uh, earlier this week. Um, I'm talking to the bus company. Um, it's it looks like we're going to get a 53 seat bus. It's going to be in the middle of the week. It's probably going to be an all all day trip. Oh, yeah, it'd have to be an all day we'll, trip. We're uh, we're going to leave here probably 8:30 or 9 in the morning. Go over to Peoria, walk across the street from the museum, and probably have lunch at a restaurant there. Then come back, and Zach Zetterberg will give us about a 90 minute tour of the entire museum. We'll get a couple of hours to go check out the museum on our own, and then we'll head back to Quincy. Okay. Well, please give me the details as soon as possible because we definitely want to make sure everybody gets a chance to be on that, and I want a seat on that bus too, that's for sure. If I'm not off on one of my other many travel adventures, you can never tell. One thing people love, and when I talk to people about YouTube being on the show, they love these stories like the snowstorms story or the snide levy story or the duck calling championship story and so we are here at 199 years of adams county and when i ran that story earlier this week that we had pre-recorded i said remember folks pike county was all the way from alton all the way up to rockford i mean you know it was the wisconsin border yeah to the wisconsin border and and we made Adams County out of Pike County, and and then the other counties were also carved out of that. And so 199 years. Chuck, as you look back and you talk about presidents, or Jack, have you got another story to share about a great historical event that happened in Quincy or Adams County that we can regale people with? Well, we just mentioned Stephen Douglas passing away in June of 1861. His replacement in the United States Senate was Orville Browning from Quincy, Illinois. Now, Browning, uh, during his 18 months in the Senate there, visited the White House over 90 times that we know of. And, was, you know, he and uh, Mrs. Browning, very close with uh, Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln, and actually moved into the White House after the death of their son uh, because they were just inconsolable. So he was a huge figure, but he has to run for re-election in 1862. So who does he run against? William Richardson, who lived at Sixth and Broadway. So the two candidates for the United States Senate to represent the entire state of Illinois in the United States Senate lived about three blocks away from each other in Quincy. And Richardson won, by the way, and uh, Browning hung around and ended up being Secretary of the Interior under uh, Andrew, Johnson. Andrew Johnson. So, uh, yeah, Quincy's importance mid-19th century really uh, can't be overemphasized. Do we, because we don't know these stories, the average person, and we, and you're going to do so much in the coming year and then that next year. So we've got 24 months, really, of preparation and learning and probably 36 months, really, because once people start to catch fire about history, it does. We forget how critically important Quincy was. Now we're part of Forgottonia, and we'll probably, heck, we can't even get a congressman out of here, much less a U.S., two U.S. people running for U.S. Senate. So we have lost some of our cachet as other parts of our state have grown. But there's still a lot to be said for Quincy and a lot of lessons we can learn from the past. 
What was it about Quincy during that time that made us so politically prominent? Why did we have John Wood as governor? Why did we have Orville Browning and Mr. Richardson as U.S. senators? What was it about this place, this little bitty spot here on the belly button of Illinois, that made us so politically powerful? Well, a big part of it was the Mississippi River. And, uh, you know, Stephen Douglas, who was among the most ambitious man in American history, he was called a steam engine in britches. You know, he decided, forget about Winchester, get over there to Quincy on the river. That's where it was happening and lived here for, I believe, seven years. But uh, then there was a shift from the river to the railroads, and Chicago became prominent, and he moved to Chicago. He, but in the 1840s, the three biggest towns or cities in the state of Illinois were Galena, Nauvoo, and Quincy, all on the river. Uh, that's how you traveled in those days. So we can't uh, overestimate all, that. It was a hot spot for immigration too, because Good it was point, easy. Yeah. It was easy to come up the river, you know, because so many of the German, you know, the, you know, when you look at somebody like Browning um, or his his cousin Jonathan Browning, who was really the founding member of the of the uh, of, ahead of John Moses Browning, the founder of the of the Browning Gun Legacy. Um, you know, they all came, they came from Kentucky and, but, but, you know, you've really kind of got three segments at, in, at least in my eyes, you've got the new Englanders that came first, those groups that came from Congregationalists and so forth. And then you have the immigrants that come up the river, you know, from Europe. And solicited by John Wood in many yeah. cases, in many cases. Yeah. especially the German. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Puritan New England thing, uh, the, the southern mix from Kentucky, and then the please come and help us, that, that German invasion, and, welcomed. And, you know, you one know. of the things that they gauge today, you know, it, 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 that, that they do in the census is they, ga they gauge the foreign born that live in your community. Well... You know, neither none of the ones that came from New England or that came from uh, uh, Kentucky were foreign born. Usually they were all born here. But boy, the ones that came up the river and landed here were almost all foreign born at that point in time. When uh, and I've had Dave on um, to talk about steamboats. Did did Quincy miss the boat literally by staying too long with the steamboat and and not getting a river crossing, not actively seeking that? I mean, you look back and we always say there's a turning point when we built the new Bayview Bridge. Was it going to be on Locust? Or was it going to be on Broadway? Now the new Memorial Bridge or whatever they're going to call it. Is it going to be York? You know, they think so. Or, or is it going to be, you know, Kentucky or whatever? We have these moments. And check from a political point of view, you have these moments where you could say, we went out on a limb and Quincy didn't catch on to the railroad quick enough, did it? Is that part of the problem? Well, we were, you know, the, we were the Q in the CB and Q. Yeah, yeah but, but there was a Northern Cross before yeah, then. Yeah, it, it was inevitable, though, with, with the crossroads in Chicago. But, you know, uh, our past can be our future. And if we look to the river, we still have the dream of... Uh, intermodal port facility that would be fed by containerized shipping that would come through the canal from the Pacific Rim and right up the middle. It couldn't go any further north than Quincy. You know, Keokuk has the hydroelectric dam because that was called Keokuk Rapids. There's a big drop there. It couldn't maintain the channel. But Quincy is ideal for that. And, and you know, our history, our tourism, uh, hopefully we have some forward-looking leadership to uh, develop our riverfront. 
you know, part of our Bicentennial Commission is we're, uh, we'll be supporting this riverfront uh, performance space that's been proposed. So uh, I think we still need to look to the river. Okay, look to the river and transportation in general. Um, you Expand know, Expand the lock and dams and double the efficiency of the navigation well, system. Yeah. I just finished Phil Bradshaw's book, who, uh, his, uh, you know, who is a longtime Pike County He'd be and, a good guy to get on the radio. He's got some and, stories. And international ag uh, um, experience. And I mean, not just a little bit of it. I mean, a lot of it. A lot of travel. travel a lot of international world. travel I mean, with ag, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he would be a great guy to have on Bring him on next sometime. month. Well, you know, he also has really been the great leader on uh, Free Frank in New Philadelphia. Well, I mean, you, you go to a list of what goes on in this area. He's involved in it. He was the chairman of the AMPS committee in the days that, of the Try to the build the Central of Express the interstate. Way. And, uh, you know, he was, he was one of the premier people and leaders in, in New Philadelphia. You know, he was in charge of the uh, foot and mouth disease eradication in the Americas. I mean, he has a laundry list of things. He was extremely close to Paul Finley back in Paul Finley's days. So, you know, when you go down his accomplishments, I mean, he should have written a book. And he would, you know... Let's talk about that, about getting him on the yeah, show. Yeah, I'm putting it in your hands. You mentioned Paul Finley. This is interesting with the Hamas Palestinian, and we don't want to put all Palestinians in the Hamas basket, so I just did it, and I'm sorry. We have the Palestinian problem with them being considered refugees for over 100 years, which is ridiculous, you know. So we've got the Hamas and the Israel situation, and Paul Finley you know, kind of lost his congressional seat to Dick Durbin, didn't he? Because of kind of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and where he stood on that. So, he, in 1980, ran against Dave Robinson from Springfield, and he really used that issue. And Finley, you know, was a first person to get out there really publicly and say we need to be more even-handed uh, in, in addressing that situation. And, I remember uh, all those pictures that were in the national news of, of Paul Finley with Yasser Arafat yeah. back in the so day. So Robinson used that as a campaign issue. Durbin didn't use it so much as a campaign issue, but I'm sure it helped him raise money because, uh, you know, Finley, I think the name of his book was Who Dares to Speak? Yeah. And when you speak out uh, against Israel, you yeah, have well, their, their pro lobby. And, and, uh, and, was, and another money. good example of that was when Lincoln spoke out against the Mexican-American good War. Good point, Jack. His only term in Congress, he knew he, had, he was a one-termer. And he spoke out against that and got defeated. So, I mean, two good examples from our area. Yeah, really a profound courage. And I think Durbin would, would say that. You know, uh, Phil Bradshaw told me... Uh, and he was, he was Paul Finley's best friend, but he became close with Durbin, and he, and he told me that, uh, that Paul Finley's wake in Jacksonville, he was sitting there, and he couldn't believe it, but here comes United States Senator Dick Durbin on the door. But Dick Durbin came to really respect Paul Finley, and uh, they had a great relationship later on. And my old boss, Paul Simon, was real close with Paul Finley because they were very much alike. Small-town newspaper editors, Lincoln guys, they both wrote uh, about Lincoln and were scholars. Uh, when I was a, a senior in college, 1975, I had a course in uh, political science where my professor, Howard Penniman, he was the ABC News expert on congressional districts. And uh, one of the things that helped him do that was he assigned every student 
do your congressional district. It, that yeah, was a whole semester. You do all the work for me, we, and I'll on ABC News and as their George consultant. And kids from all over the country, so he pretty much had somebody from every, you know, over the years. So I, you know, I'm an intrepid little, see, you know, whatever I was, uh, uh, just a kid. But I called Paul Finley's office, and I went down to Capitol Hill, and I went in, and I sat there, and he gave me like 45 minutes, and it was great, and it really helped me get a good grade in that class. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a really good man and, uh, and a good congressman. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that the John Andersons and the Tom Railsbacks and these, these moderate guys that, you know, it worked across the aisles on bipartisan – they just they can't win a Republican primary nowadays, and the same thing's true with the Democrats. Yeah, you know Joe Crowley uh, in New York was an up and comer, great guy, and whatever gets beat by AOC because you know fifteen percent vote in the primary, and they got the yeah. strident folks out, and it's it's tough for for anybody that wants to try to be moderate. I want to close, and we don't have much time. I want, uh, Jack, you can chime in first. Um, Trump obviously seems to be unstoppable now. I mean, he's going to, I mean, what could stop him? Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are still hanging in. Uh, but, I mean, it, th- this is almost, I mean, isn't this a foregone conclusion? There's no way that Trump is not going to be the Republican nominee. What, what amazes me, uh, really, and Nikki Haley has used this quite a bit, is somewhere around 70% of, of uh, U.S. citizens don't want a repeat of 2020. And that's uh, exactly what we're going to get. And that is the, the road that we are rapidly hurtling down. And I don't know exactly what's going to end up happening here. If I had to guess right now, I would say that Biden will probably beat him again. But I think the average Joe on the street um, is going to say, wow, Trump has, was it 91 different indictments that he's facing now? What's puzzling to me, Jack, is that clearly Nikki Haley, I think one poll, she beats Biden by 17 points. Whereas you're right, you know, with Biden, Trump, well, uh, that's a whole different story. So well, the electability well, thing. Well, the thing that that I've talked about a little bit about on Haley is I think if we got Biden, Trump, um, there's a whole ton of females that say I'd vote for Biden, but if we had not if it's Haley, yeah. but if we had Haley Biden, I think there's a ton of women out there that would vote for Haley. I mean, a ton of them, and she I probably think, I think that she would. I think she would win in that race. Well, she might still have a path, but not while DeSantis is still in it. I think a lot as long of it, as you have two split. I think up. a lot of it. What if he names her as? What if Trump would name Haley as his vice president? I don't think she'll take it. I well, mean, yeah, he's things, gotten into the you know. The, one, names. one of the things that I think that uh, is, is going <laughs> to be. She's completely a, incompetent and couldn't handle the job, but I'll make her my vice president. <laughs> hey. I mean, this is a problem with all political things, you know. Oh, that guy, he couldn't find his way out of a, you know, he couldn't find a door in a round room. <laughs> well, and, one, you know, one of the things room. I want to see is what's going to happen in New Hampshire because there, Haley is polling very high against Trump. But Democrats can vote in that, so, you know, that's kind well, of Well, independents. Independence, I mean, India. Well, anyway, now we have to go. I just don't, I just don't understand why someone like Dick Durbin can't rise out of the 
he's so powerful, but he's not at the, he's not the, at the, he's cream, but he's the third layer of cream. When is he going to come out of obscurity and make his mark known? We'll, we'll talk about that next well, time. He's chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, I, mean, I, I, I would say the Republicans why would say he's it, not very obscure. <laughs> why, why can't the Democrats put someone like him up? We'll talk about that next time. I love you guys. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Thanks, Mayor. Thank you for joining me today. The debate continues, folks. Uh, as I break in to tell you that Monday on the Mary Griffith Show, we'll have a visit from Cornerstone to talk about our mental health. When I have Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz, my mental health goes up, and I'm very happy because I love these two guys giving it back and forth to each other. And I think we can all agree that a Trump-Biden rematch is not what anybody wants. But unfortunately, when do we ever get, you know, we were supposed to be able to decide all this stuff because we had the right to vote. Whatever happened to the public decided? First, we got to go to the polls. Let's start with that. We'll see you Monday.